Welcome to Sojourner True. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Today, we focus on the uptick of racist attacks against people of Asian and Pacific Islander descent. This is exacerbated by Trump's calling COVID-19 the China virus. And now, six Asian women, two white people, one woman and one man are dead, killed by a gunman in Atlanta who has been charged with eight counts of murder. A Latino man was critically injured. Meanwhile, controversy has broken out when a local sheriff, the one assigned to brief the media on the shooting, said the shooter had a bad day. All this, as according to the New York Times, a new intelligence report that was given to Congress on Wednesday, March 18th, about the increased threat of militias and white supremacists. And according to the Anti-Defamation League, there are 30 white supremacist organizations operating in 49 states with the highest number in Texas, followed by Washington State. California comes in third, followed by New Jersey, New York, and Massachusetts. They include the Patriot Front, the New Jersey European Heritage Association, and the National Socialist Club. Our guests today are uh, David uh, Mankawa, organizer for National Nurses United. He is a member of the Progressive Asian Network for Action, known as PANA. And he currently is working as an activist for Save Our Seniors Network. Also, Dr. Cynthia Chang, a licensed practitioner uh, based in the Bay Area. She's a doctor of oriental medicine, specializing in women's health and sports-related injuries. And Dr. Russell Young, uh, who received a bachelor's in human biology and a master's in education from Stanford University. After working in China and in the mayor's office of San Francisco, he obtained his PhD in sociology from the University of California. And for today's Earth Watch, we are joined by Sam Davis, an environmental activist who earned a PhD in environmental science at Wright State University. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of color, and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Eileen Alfandari. The 21-year-old white man charged with murder and attacks on three Atlanta-area massage parlors had his first scheduled court appearance for today abruptly canceled. No reason was given for the delay. Robert Long reportedly has admitted fatally shooting six Asian women, a white woman, and a white man. Cherokee County Sheriff's Department Captain Jay Baker is drawing harsh condemnation for his explanation following Long's reported confession to police. He understood... um the gravity of it 
and he was pretty much fed up and then kind of at the end of his rope and um, and yesterday was a really bad day for him and this is what he did. Baker also said Long reported a sex addiction and said he attacked the parlors to get at his temptation. Los Angeles Congressman Ted Lieu said based on the press conference, he would not have confidence in the Cherokee County Sheriff's Office to conduct a fair investigation that respected the Asian victims. He called for the FBI to take over. Police say they're still trying to determine whether the killings were a hate crime. California Assemblyman David Chu says there's no doubt in his mind. Make no mistake. Those murders were hate crimes fueled by racism that has festered during this pandemic. We're gathered here today because since the beginning of this pandemic, while all communities have been hit hard by this pandemic, our API communities have had to deal with the twin threats of not just the COVID-19 virus, but the virus of racism. District of Columbia police arrested a Texas man near Vice President Kamala Harris's official residence She hasn't yet moved in while the residence undergoes renovations. Authorities said the man was detained by Secret Service officers following an intelligence bulletin from Texas. Police said Paul Murray of San Antonio was held on charges that he carried a large-capacity ammunition feeding device, a dangerous weapon, a rifle, and unregistered ammunition. ABC reported Murray's mother called Capitol Police after he made statements that worried her. Court documents said Murray complained to police he wasn't getting support from Veterans Affairs and was not taking prescribed medication. Georgia's first black U.S. Senator, Raphael Warnock, used his first floor speech to blast a wave of Republican-backed measures that would make it harder to cast ballots in many states, including Georgia. We are witnessing right now a massive and unabashed assault on voting rights, unlike anything we've ever seen since the Jim Crow era. This is Jim Crow in new clothes. Since the January election, some 250 voter suppression bills have been introduced by state legislatures all across the country, from Georgia to Arizona, from New Hampshire to Florida. Warnock's speech followed Senate Democrats' introduction of a sweeping election law overhaul called the For the People Act. It would override many of the restrictive measures that Republicans are pushing at the state level. Warnock is the Senate bill's lead sponsor. The House is set to vote today on one bill giving more than two million young Dreamer immigrants and others legal status and a chance for citizenship. A second measure would do the same for about one million immigrant farm workers. Both seem certain to pass the House, but party divisions and solid Republican opposition means pushing immigration legislation through the Senate remains difficult. The Dreamers bill would grant conditional legal status for 10 years to many immigrants up to age 18 who were brought to the U.S. as children before this year. They'd have to graduate from high school or have equivalent educational credentials, not have serious criminal records and meet other conditions. The other bill would let undocumented farm workers who worked in the country over the past two years, along with their spouses and children, get certified agriculture worker status. That would let them remain in the country for renewable five-and-a-half-year periods. They would also have a path to earn green cards. Russia has recalled its U.S. ambassador. The recall took place hours after ABC aired an interview with President Biden in which he answered affirmatively when questioned about whether Russian leader Vladimir Putin is a killer. He will pay a price. I, we had a long talk, he and I. We've, I, I know him relatively well. 
And I, the conversation started off. I said, I know you and you know me. If I establish this occurred, then be prepared. So you know Vladimir Putin. You think he's a killer? Mm-hmm. Putin's spokesman deplored what he called very bad remarks by the U.S. president that he said made it clear Biden does not want to normalize relations. I'm Eileen Alfandiri for Pacifica Radio. And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. So by now, um, everyone, you all know the news of what happened in at uh, in suburbs outside of Atlanta, Georgia, that left eight people dead, including six women. So we are going to spend um, a good chunk of the hour talking about um, attacks that are on the uptick against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. We had actually planned to do this show before we found out about the murders. But before we welcome our guests, uh, let us go now to uh, a clip in which uh, the sheriff, a sheriff is talking about the shooter had a bad day and also the mayor of Atlanta objecting, saying you can't blame the victims. Were they places where somebody could have sexual encounters or were they more traditional spa-like venues? We are not about to get into victim blaming, victim shaming here. Uh, as far as we know in Atlanta, we not had any uh, calls, 911 calls from that location. I believe one minor call on someone stealing some keys. Uh, so we, we, we don't know additional information about what his um, motives were, but we certainly will not begin to blame victims. And as far as we know in Atlanta, these are legally operating uh, businesses that have not uh, been on, on our radar, not on the radar of APD. All righty. And um, why don't we go straight to our first guest. I'd like to welcome Dr. Russell Young, who is with the Asian Pacific Policy and Planning Council. He received a bachelor's in human biology and a master's in education from Stanford University. After working in China and in the mayor's office of San Francisco, he obtained his PhD in sociology from the University of California, Berkeley. After teaching at Foothill College for two years, he came to San Francisco State University's Asian American Studies Department in 2002. Um, Dr. Russell Young, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Okay, so um, a lot going on here. And uh, we certainly know that these attacks against um, people of Asian descent, Pacific Islander descent, uh, has a history in the United States. I mean, it certainly hasn't started now. However, a lot of people are also pointing to uh, Donald Trump and what he was saying uh, during the pandemic with the China virus and Kung Fu virus and, and that sort of thing um, as being responsible for the uptick in violence. We know that you have to dash, uh, so we quickly wanted to get you on to just give your take on what's happening, um, including your response to what happened in Georgia uh, just yesterday, uh, Dr. Young. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm sickened to my stomach is my first reaction and still prolonged reaction to the horror of the shootings. Uh, my heart goes out to the families of the victims. And this is in the backdrop of 
an entire year of racism directed against Asian Americans because of the pandemic. Um, our reporting center, Stop AAPI Hate, has received over 3,800 incidents of racism um, and hate directed towards our community. And clearly, President Trump's language, his um, rhetoric has exacerbated the situation. What he did when he used the term China virus or Chinese virus and repeated it insistently was that he racialized a virus and made it the virus that's just biological Chinese. And then he stigmatized the people um, for bringing the disease, that Chinese were the disease carriers. And that association that has had deadly consequences, it'll be the legacy perhaps of his presidency that um, it's led to death because um, people make that association, his hate speech went viral, and then that hate speech has led to hate violence. Um, people are making the automatic assumption that Asians have the disease and are the source of it. People um, feel licensed to hate and to attack, to push and shove us. And um, with the rest of the community, I'm, I'm angered by what's been happening. And I'm really saddened actually about the state of a, an American society that can produce individuals that do such things. Right. And, you know, the thing about it is, is that just in response to the to the murders, you have a sheriff who indeed has now been found out that he had some anti-Asian tweets in particular around the China virus now referring to the shooter, the man who has been charged um, with eight counts of murder as a guy having a bad day. And frankly, it just reminded me of when the shooting happened in um, um, in in the church in the black church, where so many people were killed by Dylan Roof, and you know he was arrested. And before they took him to jail, they took him to Burger King because he was hungry. And a lot of people of color have said, "Well, we know very well if that was a a person of color, he would not have been." gotten that treatment. And here we have a similar thing of this sheriff kind of making excuses for this guy to say, well, he had a bad day. He had a, a sex addiction, uh, right, which is already making a comment about the victims, which were couldn't be verified. Uh, your thoughts on all this? Yeah, I find it, his statements quite callous and insensitive towards the um, families of the victims, towards the victims themselves. Again, these are humans who um, whose lives were taken and, um, and weren't even given the dignity, I think, from the police or the sheriff's office to um, respect them. That, again, is what's been happening throughout the year, where Asian Americans are treated as outsiders, as foreigners, um, as objects, so that when our humanity is erased. Um, people dismiss even um, our deaths. Yeah, and also, what about this idea that um, people of Asian descent are well off, they've done so well, 
uh, in the United States, and there isn't a problem. We do know that in terms of hate crimes against uh, Asian Americans, that it's been difficult. For example, in New York City, the only person, despite the uptick of attacks happening in New York City, as is happening um, in the Bay Area, but in New York, the only person arrested with a hate crime against an Asian American was a Taiwanese man, Asian American himself. Uh, so just, I know you do have to dash, so just your final thoughts on all this. Yeah, my final thoughts is that we are seen as the model minority at times, but we have the highest income equality in um, of any racial group. And we've also not only had a a surge in racism against us, but we've also have seen in the news um, that Asian Americans have experienced a lot of violent crimes. And so most, or a lot of those areas where Asian Americans live are low income areas with um, high crime rates. So we don't know if necessarily those crimes were racially motivated, but we know we live in um, sometimes violent areas um, because of our poverty, because of our um, working class status, and um, so we're not necessarily the model minority. Instead, I think what's more operative, again, is that we're being seen as foreigners and cast out as such, um, again, objectified and dehumanized as such. And um, so, th in fact, the, the extreme opposite of being the model minority who are well off is this perpetual foreigner because we're being excluded from society, not accepted. Um, Trump last year cut migration visas cut refugee resettlement, cut H-1B visas, cut Chinese scientists and researchers. So we are um, both excluded and now being exterminated in mass ways. And so um, it's, uh, this has all been devastating for the community. We're on a high level of anxiety and siege, besiegement. And we really do call on government to um, investigate this the shootings and with um, the FBI um, to the fullest extent and to explore whether there are hate crimes and to possibly um, take over the investigation. Yeah, and for people who want to um, know more about your organization and what they can do to support its efforts, that's the Asian Pacific Policy and Planning Council, what should they do? Um, if they want to report an incident uh, or find out more about what's happening and gain resources, go to www.stopaapihate.org. Okay, could you repeat that? And we'll post that on our social media as well. It's um, stopaapihate.org. All righty. Well, thank you so very much uh, for joining us. And our hearts go out to you and, and the entire Asian Pacific and Pacific Islander uh, community. Thank you so very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Margaret. What I'd like to do is to welcome our next guest, uh, Dr. Cynthia Chang. 
a licensed practitioner um, since 2005, a doctor of oriental medicine specializing in women's health and sports-related injuries. She has had over 35 years of experience in Chinese medicine and herbology in private practice. She's also taught Chinese perspectives and holistic health at San Francisco State uh, University, uh, Tai Chi Quan, Qigong, and meditation. And she has studied and practiced Tibetan Buddhism since 19. 19- uh, 90. Um, Cindy, as I call her, is part of the Youth and Family Ministry at East Bay Church of Religious Science and loves to garden. And uh, Cindy, thank you for joining us. Good morning, Margaret. Thank you for having me. Uh, Cindy, just to put uh, to place you in all of this, tell us a bit about your heritage, your uh, background, which is connected to Hawaii, as far as I know. Yes, I'm uh, Asian-American, uh, raised in Hawaii. My parents uh, are immigrants coming from China, and my father was raised in China after the war. He went back to China and married my mother and came back to Hawaii. So I spent the first 18 years of my life in Hawaii. And growing up in Hawaii, we were the majority. I did not really understand what minority meant until I came here to San Francisco and uh, had someone saying to me, what, you're trying to take over the world? And so I was pretty shocked because I grew up in, in a much more harmonious and where I saw Asian faces all around me. And so to actually now be called the minorities and trying to take over the world, my heart is saddened, and this impacts me a lot with what happened because... What it's doing is preying on the ones who cannot defend themselves. And so I want to give a voice to women and to the elderly who are preyed upon. And my heart really wants to know why is this happening? And so I go back to my faith and fall back onto knowing that there is a reason for all of this happening, which is to really show the systemic racism that is all around us and through Black Lives Matter brought more focus into what's happening, the disparities that are going on in the world. And we need to actually make the playing fields much more readily available to all people to really create a world that works for everyone. And I am glad that you know, during these times, I have my faith in, in a belief in a greater good, that, you know, there is benevolence in the world and that there is some good that's going to come out of it. My heart goes out to the families of the ones who have lost their loved ones right now. And I really look to what I can do as a person to have more peace in my, in my world and finding a way that I can have peace and contentment, you know, the peace out to everyone. And so I'm challenged really to see what I can do. And so I, I go out and work in uh, the youth so that I can find a way to uh, help the, new, the young people find ways of being 
finding to know themselves and to teach them when they're young what is moral ethics and the way that some people are behaving and to excuse it by saying, well, he had a bad day. No, 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 that does not work for me. And I'm glad that at least in Oakland, we are going to have separation of mental health issues from the police so that it becomes a mental health uh, issue and not have police intervene where they're not really qualified to help families where there's a call for police uh, to come in. Yeah, and uh, Cindy, I'm just wondering, I mean, you are based in the Bay Area. I'm wondering how, you know, Trump referring to the China virus, et cetera, the attacks that have happened on um, people of Asian descent in the Bay Area. Just yesterday, there was an attack on an older woman uh, of Chinese descent, and she actually fought back and sent the guy to hospital, even though she was injured. But I'm wondering just, you know, your feeling, I mean, as a, a person of a, I mean, looking at you, one would see your person of Asian descent, Pacific, Pacific Islander. Um, and I'm wondering if you are feeling more vulnerable, perhaps other people in the community that you may know of or have, have talked to, because these kinds of things, you know, do have an impact, an emotional impact, and sometimes even a physical uh, impact, because we know the impact that stress can have on people. And you're a healthcare practitioner. I'm sure this is something that you have run across, Cindy. You're right, Margaret. You know, I never was fearful of going out. As you know, I had my dog, and I always would take her out even at night in the neighborhood that I live in here in Oakland. And, uh, you know, I have friends from the East Coast, you know, saying or texting me, you know, wanting to know, are you safe because of what they're seeing in the news? And makes me, you know, stop to think, you know, is it really safe for me to be going out at night? I do believe here in the neighborhood I'm at that it is, and I know my neighbors, I don't venture out, you know, as much at night, I, I believe now. I never used to have that sense. However, I do believe that, you know, people who are doing these things need to stop. There's a greater police presence in Chinatown, both Oakland and San Francisco, which provides some safety. Uh, for the Asian community to go out. And during COVID, so many of businesses were already shut down, even from last year before we had to shut down in March. People, you know, Chinatown was a, before Chinese New Year, was like a ghost town. People just stayed away because of what was going on. And so what happens in the news media has impacted all of us, and it creates a lot of craziness and stress because what was safe no longer is safe. And in many ways, I'm glad that my mother and dad are not with us right now, because my mother would would be just really fearful with everything that's going on because of her, you know, getting the news from the Chinese newspapers and from the, which, you know, at some times, you know, can be rather slanted. And even a friend of mine, you know, started telling me about the Chinese virus. And I had to look at her and go, excuse me, what are you saying? And I would not have expected that from her. And yet, because the media was hammering the Chinese virus, you know, 
and the Chinese brought it out, you know, to the Chinese other carriers, is because, you know, that happened so much from the media. It becomes, you know, there's a groove that goes into our, <clears throat> that happens in our brain. And we, you know, if you don't think about it, it becomes brainwashing. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, Cindy, what we're going to do now, we're going to have to uh, take a short station break. And uh, David uh, Mankawa is also on the line waiting to join us. He is a member of Progressive Asian Network for Action, known as PANA. So stay with us, and we'll be right back, uh, Cindy, with you, and we'll welcome David into this conversation. We'll be right back. Sojourner Truth, you'll be able to hear the show in its entirety, and you can subscribe for a free podcast. And uh, you could like and friend us on Facebook and our handle on Instagram and Twitter at So True Radio. Sadly, our website is down now, it is being revamped, uh, was hacked. Uh, so we hope to get that up very soon. But we are nationwide and worldwide on SoundCloud. And in the United States, we'd like to give a shout-out to our SoundCloud listeners in the Bay Area. That's San Francisco, Oakland, uh, Berkeley area. And internationally, we'd like to give a shout-out to our SoundCloud listeners in Hawaii. And today, we are focusing on the uptick, the horrific uptick, of uh, hate crimes against people of Asia. Asian descent and Pacific Islander descent. Um, our guests still on the line with us, Dr. Cynthia Chang. I called her uh, Cindy. And also, I'd like to welcome to the discussion uh, David Mankawa, who is a member of the Progressive Asian Network for Action, known as PANA. He's currently working as an activist for Save Our Seniors uh, Network. David, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, morning. Okay. Thank you very much, Margaret. Yeah, well, uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And I also do want to give a shout out to uh, Ron Baca, um, who is our kind of resident poet, but um, he really worked hard on this particular uh, segment to, um, you know, introduce us to people like you, David. So we're very grateful for that. Uh, David, we well, do thank you know very that much. I've enjoyed your program for many years, and, and uh, good uh, morning to all the commuters and everybody listening at this early uh, time. 
All righty. Thank you so much for that. Um, now, we do know that there have been there's a long history of this kind of, uh, you know, racism against uh, people of Asian descent. I mean, back in 1882, the Chinese Exclusion Act in 1875, where Chinese women were barred from coming into the country because they were, quote unquote, assumed to be prostitutes or what today we would call uh, sex workers. And then, of course, we know what happened to um, Japanese Americans uh, during World War II. Uh, so people tend to forget uh, that history and all of the work done on building the railroads and agricultural work, et cetera. So a lot of people are thinking that this situation is, is very new in terms of discrimination against Asian Americans. I wondered if you wanted to comment on the history before we talk about what is happening right now. David. Yes, uh, Margaret, you know, the fact of the matter is that we Asian Americans have been fighting successfully successfully anti-Asian violence for over 150 years, as you just mentioned, our long history of, of uh, originating uh, in, in this country. Uh, but before I do that, I just wanted to um, say the names of the people who were killed uh, yes, uh, day before yesterday. Uh, we don't have all their names, but at least we have four of them, and that would be Delaina Ashley Yan, 33, of Ackworth, Georgia, Yaoji Yan, 49, of Kennesaw, Georgia. Uh, Dao Yu Feng, and I know I'm not doing a good job on the name, but 44 years old, address unknown. And Paul Andre Michaels, 54, of Atlanta. Oftentimes when Asian folks are, are killed, uh, especially the mass murder types, you know, nobody knows the names. And not even that, nobody even remembers the, the, the incident happened. And in 1989, you know, in Stockton, California, this was a landmark case that began the entire uh, banning assault rifles movement, nobody knows there's five uh, Cambodian kids that were killed. And one was Vietnamese, I'm sorry, four and one. That's 1989, mowed down by a racist. And all the Asian part of it was gone and taken out, and so was the racism part. 1999 in Arizona, nine Thais killed, priests were killed, murdered. That's off the minds of everybody, too. So these kinds of incidents happen, and, uh, you know, for various reasons that other speakers have talked about before me, a lot of these things just uh, go into the dustbin of uh, news and they're never mentioned or remembered. So I just wanted to say their names. Um, Absolutely. So back, sure. Now, getting back to the successfully fighting anti-Asian violence, um, you know, someone mentioned, you mentioned before that 76-year-old Zhao Zenzi, the woman yesterday in San Francisco who fought back and, and defeated her attacker, now, that's what I'm talking about. You have several headlines of that nature, and I guarantee that anti-Asian violence at that street level will go down because a lot of the people making these attacks, these are not rocket scientists. These people are, you know, some of them are, are, are borderline mental, uh, uh, mental cases, and uh, they're very unfortunate uh, apparent people who, uh, you know, feel um, so compelled to attack someone who's so vulnerable and old so these are basically uh, cowardly type, uh, disturbed type of people. So these people, if they were to hear all these headlines all the time about Asian uh, elderly people uh, kicking their butts, or like how our 82-year-old African-American mom uh, made her intruder regret breaking into her home, these kinds of headlines would have an impact on these types of people. Now, of course, we're not talking about the white supremacist organized Proud Boy types that 
people mentioned before, that takes different medicine to get rid of those folks. But I'm talking about this ordinary street crime punks that continue to assail our elderly in our communities, those types of people. That's what I'm talking about. And it would have a profound impact on them. Um, these kinds of headlines were there before in history, getting back to our original theme. Like you said, Margaret, when Asians originally came to this country, and Chinese railroad workers, when they were put into these horrible situations uh, where they, were gonna, they knew they were going to die, the work is so dangerous, they fought back. They fought back with pickaxes, claw hammers, and anything that they had. They fought back against lynchings, whippings, and everything else. Camps. In the camps, there were a huge number of uh, uprisings and protests. And at one point in time at Manzanar, you know, uh, there were uh, people who were fighting back against the disappear, uh, disappearance of a kitchen union worker leader, and they were upset, and they were fighting back with, with stones and sticks, and they got shot down with machine guns and shotguns. And uh, a little kid, Jimmy Ito, 16 years old, young man, was killed, shot in the back. Um, James Kanagawa, 21 years old, shot in the front and died. All these kinds of incidences where people are fighting back, they're all buried. They're all buried for a reason, and that's to create the consciousness within Asian Americans that buttresses the model minority myth, that we don't fight back, that we are quiet, and that we are passive. And these kinds of uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, lies were perpetrated in order to make Asians, and even worse, a lot of these other white, white supremacists and other people think that you, know, you hit an Asian, they're not going to do nothing. And if it's an old Asian, even better, even more vulnerable. So I think that all these kinds of incidences, uh, you know, that of in examples of Asian Americans fighting back, uh, the Vietnamese fishermen who took on the Klan, survived, and now prosper in Galveston, Texas. All of these kinds of incidences, you know, they're mentioned in the news. However, they're buried later on. So when you are a young Asian growing up, what do you hear? You hear things about Asians getting beaten. You hear things about Asians, you know, woe is me. You know, we have to... We have to, you know, kind of like cuddle up in a fetal position and kind of like own our pain. And I get all that, you know. When, the, when folks were killed in Atlanta, very painful. It's uh, shocking, painful, and everybody feels it. However, we Asians in the past, we have a track record of going beyond that, of being able to harness the sorrow, turning that into anger, turning that into productive energy, and to fight back. Uh, you know, through the courts, through the ballot box, as well as through armed struggle and defend ourselves and our communities. That's the tradition of Asian Americans. That's the, that's the legacy that we have. Absolutely. Thank you so much for, for breaking that down, David, making it uh, clear for us, because you're right. I mean, this rarely comes out very, very hidden. Um, Cindy, just back to you for a moment, um, specifically on the murders that happened uh, in Georgia, in the Atlanta uh, area, where six of the eight who were killed um, were uh, Asian women, and it seemed as though they were working in uh, massage uh, parlors. Now, the media coverage so far, people are kind of confused about, well, uh, you know, what is this about? They're saying that the, the uh, killer who confessed is saying, well, he was upset because he had a, a sexual addiction and this had nothing to do with race. Um, but Red Canary 
an organization based on the East Coast um, working with uh, sex workers. They say, and I quote, media coverage that examines the racist or sexist motivations of the killings as independent of each other fail to grasp the deeply connected histories of racialized violence and paternalistic um, rescue complexes that inform the violence experienced by Asian massage workers. So, Cindy, I could see the the you know people are thinking now. Well, is this really a racist attack against Asians? Is it simply an attack against? Um, Asian massage um, workers, women workers, because there is that um, falsity that they're all sex workers, which absolutely is not the case. And that's not to say some may or may not be, but that's not the issue. That's not a death sentence. And the the question is, um, why couldn't it be both and, and likely both, um, even though the killer is denying it? I mean, it just so happens that everybody that he killed, except for two people who happened to be on the um, in one of the the parlors were women of Asian descent. Uh, just some final thoughts from you, Cindy. Well, my thoughts are that you know this incident you know cannot be separated from a person who has mental health issues, and at the same time he's also targeting Asian women who work in these massage parlors and for whatever is going on in his mind, which I can't fathom, I can't separate that it, it is an Asian, uh, it's an attack against you know, Asian women and sex workers uh, as such. And these are women who are not ones that can really speak for themselves. So if the media wants to whitewash it, then we, those of us who can speak, need to speak up. and say this is racial violence and not to be just skipped over and whitewashed and say, oh, no, you can tell, you know, he went from one to the other across the street. It wasn't. And then he even drove purposefully to another one from what I could see. So it tells me that, you know, even in his uh, in his mind, there was some kind of methodology of, you know, really targeting Asian people. And with that, I'm complete. Yeah, okay. And just some uh, final thoughts from you, David. Well, I like to, you know, the anti-Asian violence on a personal level. We can recognize that we see that, we abhor that, we hate that, and we're going to try to reverse that or try to prevent that by more uh, open and more uh, 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 strong, uh, aggressive showings of Asian Americans getting together and pledging that we are, will fight back, we will not allow this to happen, uh, so on and so forth. Um, however, I feel I think that um, uh, we have to look to a greater uh, um, phenomenon in society and the kind of racism that's coming forth. And you know, sure, it's spiking now again because of the pandemic, but 77 years like you mentioned, Margaret, since 1898 to 1975 until the Vietnam War ended, you know, Asians have been the enemy of the United States for 77 continuous years, from, from Hawaii, the Philippines, uh, Japan, Korea, Vietnam, you name it. So that type of consciousness 
that Asians are an enemy, existential enemy, that's deeply ingrained in the consciousness of American people. That plus the ever um, self-perpetuating racism that comes from sort of a, you know, doggy dog, a, a profit over people system that we have, that's what perpetuates racism. So until we deal with that, all these kinds of incidents of anti-Asian racism, and not to mention the daily shootings of African-American young people and the daily shootings of Latinx people and Native American people, that's all going to continue along with the oppression and the violence against Asian Americans until we deal with the core that is in the uh, that is in our system. We have to change that system in order to get rid of the rest of this stuff. Absolutely. And, and, and David, for people who want to get in touch with the Progressive Asian Network for Action or PANA, um, what should they do? Well, one thing is that they can, they can come out Saturday night, March 20th, 6 p.m. to Little Tokyo on the corner of 2nd Street in San Pedro, because we're going to have... And this is for our uh, listeners in Southern California, right? Yeah. Yes. This is in LA, Los Austin, Angeles. Austin, okay. Little Tokyo, because we're going to have a candlelight vigil for 117 dead Japanese-American elderly people. And this is a product of corporate violence. And in my, in my eyes, there's not that much difference between corporate violence and individual anti-Asian racist violence. What we have here is a company called Pacifica, who should have never gotten a COVID treatment license. Well, they got one from the county for whatever reason, uh, you know, because they're serial violators of patient care. And this resulted in 117, the most in California, okay, the most in California, the majority being overwhelming majority Japanese Americans being dead. And we're going to have Right. And tell us again um, the, the day and the, the time of that. We, we are, we're at the end of this segment now, David. Sure. This coming Saturday mm -hmm. night, 6 p.m. in Little Tokyo on the corner of 2nd Street in San Pedro. Be there and we'll see you there. And we'll try to fight back against uh, corporate anti-Asian violence as well as the individual street type of violence that's been uh, upon, uh, thrust upon us. Okay, David uh, Monkawa, thank you so very much for joining us. We're going to be continuing you, um, work on on covering these attacks against Asian Americans. We we only scratch the surface, and for example, we need on this show a discussion about the black-brown divide and how black communities and Asian communities are often pitted once against each other. A lot of people remember Latasha Harlan's uh, the teen who was shot and killed for allegedly stealing some orange juice, and that created a lot of tension among um, uh, Korean Americans. So this discussion is to be continued. So Dr. Cynthia Chang, uh, known by her friends, including me as Cindy, uh, thank you for joining us, and Dr. David uh, Mankawa as well. And we are now going to wrap our show up with our weekly Earth Watch. We do partner with the Global Justice Ecology Project, so we want to th uh, thank them right out of the gate. I'd like to welcome our guest, Sam Davis. Uh, Sam um, is a lifelong tree hugger. Uh, Sam earned a PhD in environmental science in 2015 at Wright State University and completed a postdoc at the University of California, Merced, before leaving academia for greener uh, forests. Um, they are thrilled to be translating science into action with Dogwood Alliance. And on the weekends, uh, Sam, they enjoys hiking, home improvement, and gaming with friends and family. Sam, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. 
Okay. So, Sam, you talk about proforestation. Tell us what that is. Sure. So proforestation refers to the practice of protecting existing natural forests from human disturbance. And this has been identified as one of the most effective ways that we can use forests to fight climate change. Right. And uh, so uh, basically just explaining the process uh, to us, it draws out um, excess uh, CO2 out of the atmosphere. Uh, Yeah. So if you're thinking about climate change, it's just a carbon ledger problem as we burn fossil fuels. We're emitting carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, which is causing a warming effect. Um, Trees are part of the carbon cycle, and they are one of our best natural ways to actually absorb carbon. Because when when trees photosynthesize, bringing you back to uh, science in school, uh, they take carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, turn it into sugars, turn it into pieces of the trees themselves. And so proforestation is this idea of just letting the trees do their job. Yeah, and and how does this, because we know in in some parts of the world, in um, some parts of Asia, uh, Thailand, on the continent of Africa, Uganda, and and other places, you know, you have these tree plantations, right? And uh, some um, make the case, usually it's large corporations involved in this, well, you know, if we're planting trees and we're growing trees, this is going to help the um the environment so contrast that kind of um these sort of man-made forests approach with what you're talking about with proforestation because they're definitely not the same thing they they really aren't you know um humans are really good at trying to manipulate the environment but we're not actually very effective at it so most of the tree plantations Um, whether that's in Asia, Africa, South America, or even right here in the United States in the South, we have 40 million acres of tree plantations. Um, They just, they don't do as good of a job at storing carbon. Uh, If you want a number on it, it's about half. So a planted forest next to a natural forest will only store about half the amount of carbon that a natural forest will. And plantation carbon storage is essentially useless if we're um, cutting down the trees every 30 to 40 years, which is what happens in the south, in the southern U.S. Yeah, not to mention the degradation of of the environment of these uh, tree plantations and a lot of indigenous people also, uh, including on the continent of Africa and Asia, et cetera, losing their land for these tree plantations. And similarly with this whole GE trees thing, I mean, there's so many things that are being put forward as solutions uh, to the climate crisis. And I know the um, Global Justice Ecology Project, they uh, come out firmly against what they call these um, false solutions and which are basically capitalism basically trying to make money and claiming that they're going green. But on the whole issue of um, uh, pro-forestation, again, a huge uh, contrast. I mean, there, there are the tree plantations on the one hand, but we also know that there's massive deforestation uh, going on. And as you say, these forests protect and, um, you know, protect us. We, we really need them, right? Because they give up clean air, water, stable uh, soil, land, and clean food. So uh, the, the, 
you know, again, contrast the threat of deforestation with uh, the the more positive proforestation um, that you and, and Dogwood Alliance are putting forward, Sam. Sure. So, um, you know, deforestation is still a huge issue in several parts of the world. Um, forest degradation is also a huge issue, and that's where we that's what we see a lot of here in the U.S. South. Um, you know, it's just we're replacing natural forests with tree plantations. These tree plantations are often, um, you know, sprayed with herbicides and pesticides to help them begin to grow. Um, their soils get compacted. The entire species diversity that that area supports is just completely different from what a natural forest would be. Um, it's just it's not a good deal for forests and it's not a good deal for communities surrounding those forests either because those communities do rely on those trees to clean their water, clean their air, um, lower the regional temperature and provide so many other ecosystem services. Proforestation is kind of this solution that's been proposed by some in the scientific community um, as almost an alternative to this like trillion trees act and all this tree planting stuff. So if we actually just did tree planting, it would require about, it, it would require an area larger than Canada to um, meet climate goals just with planting trees. And if you think about that, even on a global scale, it's just illogical, especially when we have a world full of forests, even if they're degraded, even if they're tree plantations or formerly tree plantations. And if we just stopped logging, stopped thinning, stopped applying herbicides and pesticides and just let the forest recover, um, that would actually create a pretty substantial amount of carbon sequestration that otherwise we wouldn't have. And so we're looking at proforestation as kind of the easiest, almost default tool and protecting the existing lands that we already have is a great way to fight climate change with natural resources. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's it's really quite frightening if we look at what is happening in the Amazon uh, region, but also even, you know, right here in the United States and indeed around the world with the destruction of, um, of forests. And, you know, what you all are saying basically is that without this kind of protecting the forests, we won't really be able to deal with the crisis that the climate is in uh, right now. But meanwhile, people who are tree sitters, we have um, interviewed uh, some tree sitters on this show. We have also met um, and uh, interviewed uh, some of the organizers who helped to defend uh, the Shawnee National Forest in southern Illinois, um, where they established a, a rather lengthy blockade and stopped the logging for um, more than a decade, actually, although it's come back now. So people doing this work are actually people who are working um, not only on behalf of the environment, but really working for all of us. So on that note, Sam, Tell us a, a bit about uh, Dogwood Alliance and for people who want to support the efforts of Dogwood Alliance, what should they do? Sure. So, um, first of all, tree sitters are my heroes. Um, I love tree sitters. <laughs> I've, I've never done it myself, but, um, you know, those are the environmental heroes that I idolize. Uh, so, Dogwood Alliance, we are based in North Carolina, but we work across the South and we also work nationally and internationally. And 
you can sign a petition to Biden to support this concept of proforestation and get him to act on climate at our website, dogwoodalliance.org. Right. Give us that website again, Sam. Sure. Dogwoodalliance.org. Right. And, you know, you're so right about tree sitters and you yourself are a tree hugger. But a, a, an African-American colleague of mine just said that she was told by uh, one of our elders that um, we have to relate to trees like they are our ancestors. And we really do have to honor them and that they will help us and they will help to heal us. And I so very much believe that. So very much appreciate your work, Sam, and the work that you all are, are trying to do for us all. Thank you so very much for joining us, and please keep us posted on your work. Thank you. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. All righty. We are out of time. Uh, today's show produced by me. That's Margaret Prescott. I do want to give a shout out to our assistant producer, Romero Funes, who is on the road now. And we want to thank uh, Kiana uh, Williams, who usually does our board up for, for the show, for stepping in and volunteering to help us out, uh, filling in when uh, Romero is away. Thank you, Kiana. We'd like to thank Gary Baca, our board op for today. If you'd like a copy of today's show, please contact the Pacifica Radio Archives at 1-800-735-0230. Go online to PacificaRadioArchives.org. Stay tuned for Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Sojourner Truth will be back on the air tomorrow. You won't want to miss it. Thank you so very much, and you all, please stay safe.